Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Marriage started when God decreed a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It was God's original intent. It was Satan's original attack. And ever since, marriage has been against all odds. Join us for this inspiring series on beating the odds and getting the marriage God wants for us. Well, hey, we are kicking off a new series today, so welcome to Grace Life. Glad to have you here. Uh, As promised, we did uh, money last month, and uh, we're doing marriage right now for the next three weeks, kind of kicking things off with what we have spent most of our time struggling with in 2014, trying to bring some change to that. Uh, And so uh, I want to begin this series by trying to bring some grace uh, to everyone here, because as much as many, many of us do want to talk about marriage, some of us don't. Because we have some folks in the room where marriage is not a good topic. For instance, there might be some single people who wish they were married already, and they're not. And that becomes a frustrating topic. And so here, I'm going to tell you what I tell single people all the time. I believe God is sovereignly in control of things, and God is preparing one perfect spouse for you. And so here's the deal. Your spouse may not be ready yet. Just deal with God's timing and be thankful. He's going to fix that person before he brings them to you. I won't talk about the fact he might be fixing you because I don't want to offend you. But anyway, (laughs) the second group of people we have here is is we, of course, we live in the United States in 2015. We have some divorced folks in the room as well. And I want you to understand the Bible is a story of redemption. I don't want anybody feeling guilty or condemned for where you've been or what has happened or what has not succeeded. I just want us to focus on what God is going to do with our future. And then we have a third group I like to refer to as the miserably married There are the married people who are looking forward to the series because their marriage is going to get better. But then there's another group of married people who have given up all hope. They're just miserable. They've heard enough sermons on marriage. They don't think anything can change. They don't want to hear any more about it. They are the miserably married. They hate the fact they walked into church on a Sunday and found out we're doing a marriage series. They're wishing they weren't here. Look, I'm just going to ask one thing of all three of those groups of people. And that is for the next three weeks, will you please give God an opportunity to change your heart? Will you give God an opportunity to either heal or restore or bring hope or give you vision for your future in a way that you currently do not have? Is that okay? All right, good. Well, I've built today's message and actually the entire series, we use this title, Against All Odds, which I think is pretty stinking appropriate for marriage. Any married people are with me on that one? Um, And uh, I've built it upon a premise of an event that I consider to be history and therefore something we can learn from it to be a fact that I believe is still being applied to our lives today. So in order for us to get the same thing out of this message, we need to come at it from a standpoint of this is history, not folklore. And I'm referring to Adam and Eve. Okay, now I realize that people have difficulties understanding how all of Genesis could be true, and you've been to science class, and you don't understand how the world could be created in six days, and we've got different viewpoints. I'm not touching on how the world got created. What I am, of course, touching on is that Adam and Eve were God's first creation. And and this is the reason this is so important. Well, for many reasons. Let me digress from marriage for a second. You see, the Bible repeatedly refers to Adam as the one who caused the problem and Jesus as the one who solved the problem. The Bible even refers to Jesus as the new Adam. Okay? 
Jesus himself even refers back to the stories of Genesis as though they were fact. And here's the problem we have. Adam is the original sin that we all inherit. Jesus came to defeat that when he died on the cross and set us all free, saved us by grace and can take us to heaven. Here's your problem. If you came from a monkey, just saying. And Adam and Eve is a folklore and not a factual story. Jesus can't save you from it. You're on your own. Good luck being good enough to get into heaven with a perfect and holy God. I, I, anyway, I just need you to understand. We have to understand, regardless of how you view the creation and all that sort of stuff, Adam and Eve must be real people, not a folk story. And Adam and Eve have to have faced something real that you and I still face today. So I'm going to approach it from that vantage point. You're welcome to come and talk with me and ask questions about the science side of that, and I'll try to help you out with that later. But if you would, just I'll, I'll try to give me a little bit of grace on the fact that we have to see this as a real deal. Is that okay? Can we start there today? Okay, good, good, good. Because here's the thing. I believe God had an original plan, and therefore Satan showed up to have an original attack. And that's where it all starts. So I'm going to take us in a minute to a primary passage. I'm talking about one main thing today, and that is what Satan is after in our marriages. But in order to, to show you what his original attack is, I'm going to take just a minute and set up what God's original intent was. So we're going to look at three sentences out of the first two chapters of Genesis, because our whole deal today is in the beginning of Genesis. Our main passage in a minute will be in Genesis 3. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to start with this one, though, in, in the beginning. Not that beginning. Genesis 1.27, here's what we see. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the big picture of how God created humanity. That's how chapter 1 went down. And when you get over to chapter 2, it goes back and it breaks it down in details. Did he just all at once? No, he actually did it like this. Verse, chapter 2, verse 18. God has now created man, male man. And then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So here's what happened. So as God's creating humanity, he makes all the animals. He makes man. He realizes man is alone with the animals. Man never finds a helper suitable for him. He looks at him and says, man. Well, he don't know he said man, but he just tells Man. Man's alone. That's not good. Whoa. Oh, whoa. There we go. Whoa, man. Let's, let's fix this problem. Anyway, that was... That's funny. Y'all didn't like that? Anyway, so God takes a rib from the man. He makes the woman, and ever since, the man comes from the woman. And it's really cool because it's just how God proves that we are not going to get out of this thing without needing each other. We need each other. We're going to help each other. We come from each other, and all that's kind of cool. Okay, so here's what happens. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I'm going to use some words very carefully. So carefully, I'm going to read them so I don't mess them up. I want you to listen as carefully as I'm going to read them. God's intent with marriage was an exclusive union. Hear those words? Between two souls that would embody the image of the union of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God. Okay, the way that he exists in community, and when you, uh, go back for a second to the phrase, male and female, he created them. People will ask me all the time, is God a man? No. Is God a woman? No. Here is God. God is God, 
And what he did is he took part of his nature and he put it into the male. He took another part of his nature and he put it into the female. And he brings the two of them together to model his image of himself. That's why it says he made us male and female in his image. And so the best thing that we get to do when we come together in marriage, the way that he intends is we actually model the image of God on planet earth. That's pretty cool. He's created each one of us to be part of a whole. So it's in the union of marriage that we come the closest to displaying for all of the world who God truly is and what God is truly like. Now, why is this such a big deal? Well, because if this was God's original plan, was to reveal his image of himself through marriage, through the union, Satan's first attack is going to be to destroy God's image. It's what he's always been trying to do. And so if that union will display that image, he's going to go against that union to bring a corruption so that people cannot see who God is. And we've been facing that problem ever since. I spend every week up here trying to teach people who God is because we can't believe it. We see things around us, not true to his word. We can't believe God will do what he says he will do. He is who he says he will be. He's good. He's not bad. It is so hard for us to recognize the image of God because of the screwed up world that we live in. Because ever since the beginning when God says, I'm going to reveal my image by putting two halves together to make a whole. Satan came and said, I'm going to tear it apart. This is why it's got to be fact for me. It's history. Adam and Eve, it's history. Because I believe that at that moment. Satan said, I'm going to do something between these two people that everybody else is going to inherit forever. I'm going to set up a pattern for which I destroy marriages, and I'm going to play it out throughout all of history. And he has been. I believe he has. That's what we're here to talk about today. God is still, in 2015, trying to display his image on planet Earth. Satan is still trying to destroy it. Brings us to our main point. Here's the pattern of attack. If you've got your Bibles now, we're in chapter 3, and this is where we're beginning. So... Satan and Eve are having a conversation. Some of you have maybe heard some of this before. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Is that true? Come on, inter interact with me. Is that true? No. He began with his very first thing to deceive and, and to bring a lie and to remove the truth. And he says this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are actually going to be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here is the first stage of the attack of Satan. Look, we're, we're near Fort Jackson, got a lot of soldiers and you guys as soldiers, you would love to know that the enemy has a four-stage attack to kill you. And if you knew what that was in advance, don't you think you'd win? Yeah. So if marriages, if we understand that Satan has a very simple, predictable thing that he's been playing out for millennia, if we could see this, and it begins with this idea of deception. You see, if he could just remove truth, which is what he does, he either takes the truth and distorts it, or he takes the truth and he removes it. Because freedom is built on truth. Wise decisions are built on truth. Your unity is built on truth. And if that truth can be removed, then the enemy has the foundational ingredient he needs for his attack. Because the truth comes from God's word. And the truth comes from God's perspective. Anything contrary to that is the deception. Which leads us to the second thing that he does. 
This is where the fun begins. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and let's just stop right there. What just happened? She's decided this is tempting. It looks good. It might even be good. It's pretty. And so she took it. I often ask people all the time, look, when I do meetings, I, I've got some, just some things I like to always hit at. And when I'm counseling people, it's, it's a very common question when I'm working with people to ask this question. I'll say, what was the original problem? So well, what are you talking about, Jimmy? Let's go back to the Garden of, of Eden. Adam and Eve, what was the original problem? And most people give me the wrong answer to this. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they actually gave me the right answer. And I was like, dude, you're like one of the first people to ever give me the right answer. They usually say the original problem was that she was tempted. She was tempted. Satan came to her and told her how good this thing looked, and then she wanted some of it. That's not the original problem. The original problem is that she was lied to, that she abandoned truth. And then she fell to the temptation. You see, when we misunderstand this, this is why we fall in our marriages. This is why we fall in our morality. It's why we fall in all of our relationships and in other areas of our life. Because I, I, just, just track with me for a second. We get upset with Eve. How dare she do that? Didn't she understand that was bad fruit? Have you ever thought that before? Didn't she understand that was bad fruit? Can y'all back up with me for a second? Who made the fruit? God. The Bible doesn't lie. It was a delight to the eyes. It looked good. It wasn't bad fruit. It was good fruit. It's not her fault for going, man, this looks good. I want it. The problem was that she abandoned the truth. Let me help you. I'm going to bring you up to 2015. Let's just do an analogy here. People would like to come to me and tempt me with a pickle. It won't work. You cannot tempt me with a pickle because I know the truth. Pickles are horrible. I can't stand pickles. And ask any staff member who goes out to lunch with me. They will know this. If there's ever food to be ordered, I will ask them to leave the pickles off the sandwich. They'll say, don't worry, it comes on the side. Leave the pickles off of my plate. Because pickles leak poison. <laughs> and poison will then touch my food and it will be contaminated. And I will not be able to eat all of the chips you gave me because some of them will be contaminated. Or I will have to tear off part of the bun because it will be contaminated. True story. You ask these guys who eat lunch with me, staff meetings. When they put a pickle on the basket, I will hold up the basket and ask a staff member to remove it from the basket. Somebody, somebody's not saved on the staff and they eat pickles. But I don't eat the pickles. And, and after, this is true, I'm confessing, they will take the pickle. I will take a napkin and wipe up the toxic juice that is left in the basket so that my food does not touch the pickle. Here's the point. You could bring me the most beautiful pickle right now, and I'm not tempted because I know the truth. Pickles are horrible. I hate vinegar. I hate the smell of vinegar, and that's where pickles come from. I can't stand these things. There's no temptation as long as the truth reigns. If you want me to eat a pickle, talking me into it will never work. What you have to do is first convince me that I'm wrong and they're actually good. Otherwise, the temptation has no ground. See, our problem in marriage isn't the temptation. Our problem is we believe in the lies and the deception. You see, there are some things we think that allow, we allow them to become true, and then a temptation shows up. And then I'll tell you the next two stages next. But here's the, the problem. 
We actually think the temptation is the only problem. People will come to me and they're, they're struggling with adultery that just happened, or they're struggling with pornography, or they're struggling with adulterous temptations. People come and pray for me. Hey, Jimmy, I, I need you to pray with me because there's this secretary at work and, and she looks good. And I'm just, so? That's a funny response from a pastor, isn't it? I mean, come on, can we just be, can I be very frank for you, with you for a minute? Because everybody that's super young is probably not in the room, but we just need to have a real conversation. You will get older. You will get wrinkles. Some of us, our hair will fall out. Praise God, my cousin. <laughs> That's my vanity. You got yours. Leave me alone. <laughs> and as you get older, there will be more perfect teenagers. There will be another 22-year-old who just graduated college who has a perfect body who will now work at your firm. There will always be someone at the beach who looks perfect. There will always be another wonderful, bubbly personality that is so kind that you think is flirting and they're just so naive they don't realize they're just trying to be nice to the world. Of course they're nice. Of course they're generous. Of course they're kind. God made them. Of course there's a beautiful person. God made them. We've got to stop the idea of thinking we should only be around ugly people. And it's a pretty person's fault. It's a nice person's fault. No, the fault is when you start believing things. Like my wife who had four kids, her gene size shouldn't have changed. You're a fool. <laughs> I'm not sure that came out the way I intended it. You've been through puking on the floor with the flu and... and horrible situations in life and you lost your job and she stood by you, but you're suddenly going to abandon her because somebody has a thinner gene size or because he lost his job because he said something stupid to his boss and he went through this with you. But as soon as he screwed up, you're going to go for the next door neighbor who's got a six figure job anyway. You see, the problem isn't the temptation. There's always someone richer, smarter, prettier, better, whatever. The temptation will always be there. You've got to deal with the deception that's in your mind, the deception that says, God can't fix my spouse. The deception that says, this will never change. The deception you believe that says you deserve better. You want, you want what you deserve? Die and go to hell. The fact that you get up every single day. Maybe the whole purpose of your life is to help your spouse become the person God intended them to be. And that means you're going to walk through some years that aren't all that happy. Well, Jesus' purpose of his life was to die on the cross. Did he abandon that? We get into marriage problems because we fall to temptation because we started believing lies. Well, God can't possibly expect me to stick this out. God can't possibly do this. I don't know, the list could go on and on. You, you guys with me? The problem isn't that you found somebody prettier, smarter, younger, or whatever. There isn't, the problem isn't that your secretary was nice. The problem isn't that this, this man was sympathetic when your husband wasn't. The problem is you believed a lie that allowed all that to be tempting. Next time you're tempted in your marriage, just remember this. Pickles are horrible. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's funny. It'll stick in your mind, but I'm being serious because I want you to remember that point. You've got to believe something else in order for that pickle to be tempting. When somebody looks good to you, when you're thinking about doing something you shouldn't do, when there's a temptation on the horizon, don't blame them for being pretty. Don't blame them for being kind. Don't blame them for being wealthy. Don't blame them because they have a new car. Don't blame them. 
Ask God what you have decided is true up here and true right here that is causing you to be tempted by something that should never matter to you. Because here's the reality of it. You were 18 once, your spouse was 18 once, and you had your day. And just because you're older now doesn't mean you should walk away from that and you should leave a life of investment all because something's prettier. Or you should leave a life of commitment because somebody else is richer. It's a lie. We've got to call deception for what it is. Eve's problem wasn't that the fruit looked good. God made it. Of course it was. Eve's problem is that she believed a lie. And she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Starts with deception. Then comes temptation. And if you don't head it off fast, you're going to do what we all do. Self-gratification. It looks good. I want it. And I'm going to take it. It's going to be mine. And at this point, self-gratification is always some form of disobedience to God. It never fails. And when we disobey God, and when we're this far down the traveling path with, with Satan, there are things that begin to creep into our soul that the enemy puts there to intend to bring us to a point of no return. His plan, and when he succeeds, is we get to the fourth, and there's no way back. See, things begin to creep into our soul. Let's watch what happened here. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Anybody else ever puzzled by that reaction? Are y'all trying to all act holy for a minute? Oh, let, me, let, me, let me have messed with your holiness for a second. Let me, let me bring you into my sick sense of humor. Maybe it's just me. God's first created people who were originally shaped as God intended the perfect human body to be shaped. Are y'all starting to track with me? People who had never had 40 years of cheeseburgers and french fries. People who had never had Cheetos and Dr. Pepper or high fructose corn syrup. People who didn't ride the subway but had to walk to get to where they were going. People who were fit, who were healthy, who had eaten only natural things and created by God as they intended them. Let me put this simply. Adam was a hunk and Eve was a babe. Their eyes were opened, they saw that they were naked, and they were ashamed. See, here's what creeps into our soul. It's called disillusionment. Are you, I need, I need y'all to track with me for a minute. Don't go too visual, but just track with me for a minute. <laughs> As Adam and Eve had this discovery, instead of looking at each other and going, oh my gosh, they went, you're human. And we should be ashamed of this. Instead of saying, wow, we are the epitome of perfection of humanity. And God made me to be attracted to you. And God made you to be attracted to me. What a moment. They went, oh my gosh, we're not God. Because Satan had promised them they'd be like God. They were the perfect humanity. They should have had their best moment ever. And they were ashamed to be what God had made them to be in their perfect form because they were disillusioned from the deception they would be him. And instead of going, whoa, baby, they went, oh my gosh, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to be the most perfect version of God's creation. Everybody after us, they'll have to go to the gym and live their whole life on diets to even come close to looking like us. And we're ashamed of this. I mean, it's funny, but it's, 
I mean, that should, we get filled with this idea, guilt, disillusionment, disappointment. We're no longer looking at the amazing thing that God has built, the amazing thing God intended by putting the two of us together, by your skills and my skills and your personality and my personality and what great kids and what a great life we could build if we kept our eyes on what we're intended to be. No, we only see what we're not. I only see you're not as good as the neighbor. I only see you're not as rich as him. You're not as thin as her. You're not as pretty as this. You're not as smart as that. That's what I see. I'm disappointed with my disillusionment because I'm deceived. And when you're in that place, here's our response. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord and walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. You see, we break fellowship with God. We get to a point that we hide from the only one who can fix what we've broken. The enemy's plan. I mean, come on, we got to give him some credit. That was a good plan. Deceive them. So they'll take what you offer that they would have never taken before. That they go out and do something they would have never done. They become ashamed of what God originally intended so that they're filled with so much guilt that they hide from the only one that can redeem them. They'll never go near. All of humanity will run from God the rest of their lives. It's a darn good plan. And the final piece of the pattern of the attack. God said to Adam and to Eve, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Any parents in the room know what a rhetorical question is? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate, which leads us to the fourth phase, usually the point of no return, it's called self-protection, otherwise known as blame. Yes, my marriage is screwed up, but it's not my fault. Yes, we're getting a divorce, but it's not my fault. Yes, it's all going wrong, but I didn't have anything to do with it if you just knew my spouse. Look. I'm going to tell you, I've been doing marriage counseling for a long time. And I've met maybe two people that did their darndest. And their spouse, unfortunately, was a very unbelieving Christian. Who, I'm sorry, an unbelieving non-Christian who just went off and served their God. But if there are two Christians, if there are two people who have any of their heart surrendered to Jesus at all. I want us, the first thing we need to understand in our response to this is to realize that there is something much bigger going on than you and me. Have you ever seen the movie Box Trolls? Y'all wonder, what is in his head? Where is he going with this? Look, follow me. I watched Box Trolls with my kids Friday night. Here's a funny movie. It's one of those clay animation movies where they make the people and they move them like a micromillimeter or something a zillion times and it's somebody's job to stand there and do that. 
So the funniest thing when the movie's over, so I'm not, not messing it up if you haven't seen it. All right, had nothing to do with the movie. It was just one of the funny outtakes. When the movie's over, the two little clay animation guys start talking to each other. Do you ever get a part? I mean, do you ever get a feeling there's something that's much bigger than us? Do you ever feel like maybe there's like really big people that just move us around and then you start to see they start to, to put the images together and doing that? The problem in marriage is, is that you think you're two clay animation people and you forget that there's a big God with an intent and a big enemy who's out to get you. You are not married to your enemy. That's the, you just got to know that. You are not married to your enemy. That might be the first lie. And then anything becomes tempting if you believe you're married to your enemy. So I'm going to encourage you in this. Know the pattern. Don't take the bait. Know the pattern. And don't take the bait. I hope you took notes this morning. Because for thousands of years of history, marriages have been destroyed on a four-phase pattern. It's historical fact. Married people can identify with everything I've said today. They've seen it over and over and over. Unfortunately, some of us are on the wrong end of it right now. And if you want to fix it, you've got to go no holds barred, running out of this building, and repent of the very beginning. What is up here that you allow to be your truth that you know does not line up with the Word of God? And you've got to call it for what it is. You've got to repent of it. And you've got to say everything that I thought was an option that was based upon that idea is not an option. Every action I've taken based upon that idea is not an option. And everything that I thought looked good that I said I could have is not an option. Because it's not God's word. And for those of you that might be in the midst right now, you might be believing some things like I married the wrong person. That doesn't line up with God's word. I'm serious. I mean, you might have messed up, married and screwed up, married a screwed up person. And God might be using that to work in your soul. But you are not bigger than God. People tell me all the time, you, I married the wrong person. What do I do? I've just got to leave them and go, this person over here is my soulmate. No, look, how in the world do you think you have gotten outside and created an alternate universe that the sovereign, supreme, ruling God is no longer in charge of? Now, I don't have time for the sermon in how we can do things that we probably shouldn't have done, but somehow it still turns out to be a part of God's will and he uses it to fix us. So yeah, you may not have married the most perfect person in the world. You might have been able to marry somebody else who would have made marriage easier, but you didn't. But you did not marry the wrong person because history is God's will. That's, that is a whole other sermon. If y'all don't buy into that, you just have to come back for that one another day. If you're married, you just need to ask God what he's working on. Because just getting out of it isn't the answer. It's not. Don't take the bait. When you start to believe something, don't take the bait. When something starts to look good, back up. Don't take the bait. When you just say, I've had it. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to get what I want. I'm walking away. I'm quitting. Don't take the bait. And listen, this whole marriage has kind of sounded like I'm just like Eve, just pointing to adultery. Oh, see it. I look good and it's going to do this. Do you know that this happens in non-adulterous ways every single day? Some of you have done this. You have gotten to the point of self-gratification and self-protection, and you have not had an affair, and you're not addicted to pornography, and you don't think this, this message is for you. Let me tell you other ways that you get self-gratification. I'm just going to get what I want, and I'm just going to, this marriage isn't working, let me take care of myself. 
Ever heard of a man cave? Look, all man caves are not bad. But when your man cave is a form of escape from your marriage, when it's where you run because you can't face her, you can't repent, you can't forgive, you can't deal with it, maybe your, your thing is just your job. We fight too much. I'm just going back to work, and I'm going to work overtime. I'm going to put everything I got into my career. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe there's a reason your husband is gone every single Saturday in his whole life. He's avoiding the marriage. Bowling clubs, book clubs, girls' night out. Look, everything can be good, but if you're using it to escape the reality that your marriage is failing, it's self-gratification. And you go to those events. You go hunting with your buddy. You sit in your man cave. And you go to have coffee with the girls. And everybody is saying, it's not my fault. Know the pattern. Don't take the bait. Here's the truth. Having what God intends for you is a lifelong process of growing, of learning, of repenting, of forgiving, of changing, of getting up on hard days and facing this person again, forgiving them again, risking your heart again, and doing it one more time. Because it's what Jesus did when he was betrayed. He got up another day. And he was betrayed again, he got up another day. And when he was betrayed ultimately and he was killed, follow the analogy. He got up for the last time and won the victory. If you stay in this thing, God can change it. God can heal it. God can restore it as long as you keep pursuing him. But I promise you, it's not easy because from the very beginning, your marriage... And its success has been against all odds. Amen? All right. Well, if you want to have a marriage with God's intent, you better at least have a life that's built on God's intent. And I'm talking about the idea that Jesus died on the cross for you. You'll never be good enough on your own. We are imperfect people, and we have a perfect God, and we need to bridge that gap. And the way we bridge that gap is because Jesus died. His blood was shed. His life was broken so that we could have a free gift we call grace and forgiveness. If you've never interacted with God on that one, if you've never looked at Jesus and said, because you died for me, I will live for you, I want to help you do that today. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to stand up or do anything weird. We're going to pray right where we're seated. Would everybody just pray with me? And if this is you, say something like this to yourself and God. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for making a way where there wasn't one. I thank you for forgiving me and for your love and for your mercy. I thank you for making right everything that I have broken. And my simple prayer in this place today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.